I might finish a couple of minutes late, but I'm, I'm not going to read as much as I was planning, but I'm going to read a little bit. Um, so please be patient with me. But we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. But before I read, I'd like to just take a moment and pray. Father, we praise you because you are a great and a wonderful God. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage from Isaiah, that you would help us to better see our greatness, that you would motivate us to better serve you as a result. Thank you, Lord, for what you've been doing in Benin. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here in New Hampshire as well. We pray, Lord, that the, the things you show us from your word here would speak in, to our hearts that your Holy Spirit would guide us to make us more into the people you want us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start reading in Isaiah chapter 40. Um, and as we read this first section that I'm going to read, verses 12 to 17, as we read it, you can see the greatness of our God. And I will, I'm, going to, I'm going to move fast, but I'm getting to a point. So be patient with me. We're going to cover a lot of verses in Isaiah 40 over a short period of time. But by the end, it will be clear, I think, why... Um, God has um, sh put this here, and I'd like to just give you an idea what God's taught me. So in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 12, uh, think about how great God is here. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows, shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And whom, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing. And emptiness. So here we see Isaiah telling us how great God is. And this is God speaking. And in verse 12, we see God's power. He asks a question. Who is able to take his hand, cup it like this, pour all the oceans of the world into his hand in order to measure them? He tells us who is able to take all of the dust of the ground and measure it, its weight. Who is able to measure the heaven with a hand span where you take the distance from here to here and you measure the sky? And he says only God can do those things. And then he asks us, who is able to teach or instruct God? Who is able to show him anything? Who is able to help him understand something? The answer is, of course, nobody. And then in verse 15, he says the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Now, why does he say that? Because when a bucket is full, if one drop drips out, the bucket is still full. And when God is compared here to the nations of the world, he's saying that the nations, all the people in the world in comparison with God are nothing. In verse 16, he gives the example, he says, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel. And the reason he picked Lebanon is because Lebanon was adjacent to Israel. They had mountains and the mountains were covered with massive cedar trees. Those trees, many of them have diameters greater than 10 feet. And this was the largest forest that the people of Israel would be familiar with. And he said, if you took the biggest forest you can think of and burn all the wood, that would be nothing for an offering for God. And if you take all the animals of the forest and offer them as a sacrifice on top of that fire, that would be nothing for God. And so Isaiah here is telling us how great our God is. And so I'd like to keep reading just because we have a short amount of time. 
Um, let's continue in verses 18 to 20, where he asks a question about what can we compare God to. In Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 18, to whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts uh, cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. And so here there are some people, God says, or Isaiah says, who are trying to replace God with something else. They try to replace God with something man-made. And so they take something and they carve it out into an idol. And this remember that when we think of an idol, the idea of an idol doesn't have to be something that's carved. The idea of an idol is that it's something that is being placed in the place of God. And frequently, an idol is something that is man-made that takes the place of God. And so we see that he asked this question, who can you compare God to? Can you compare God with something that a man has made and set up in a place of God? Something that might be what we devote our attention to. Could that be as important as God? And then we see the obvious answer in verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, God, who sits on the above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows upon them, they wither, and the tempest carries them off like the stubble. To, so God is saying, he asked the question, can I be compared to something that man makes? And he says, of course not. And he gives, he says, I, God, I'm sitting above the earth, looking down at the earth, and people are running around on the earth like grasshoppers, and I'm not troubled in the slightest. God's, God is not bothered by what's taking place on the earth. He says that he brings the princes to nothing. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. If a ruler decides, hey, today I'm going to pass a law, God never is going to say, well, oh, well, I can't do what I was planning to do because that law messed up my plans. And so you see that what Isaiah is saying about God, God is above what's going on on the earth, and it doesn't bother him. It doesn't stress him out. It doesn't mess up his plans. And then he gives the example in verse 24. He says, if somebody is standing up in front of God and he's in God's way, says God will blow on him and he'll fall over. And so God then asks a question. But he says, to whom, in verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. And who brings out their host by number and calleth them all by name by the greatness of his might because he is strong in power and not one is missing. So here God says, look up at the sky, look at the stars, look at the things I have made in the sky. I'm the one who made them and who calls them all by names. And that appears also in Psalm 147 in verse 4. It says that God tells the number of the stars and calls them all by name. And so I think we should take a minute to think about who is this God when it says he calls the stars by names. So here, probably the closest major city to us is Boston. 
Have you ever thought about how small Boston is in comparison to the world? Have you ever thought about how small this world is in our solar system? Did you know that the planet Jupiter, I think many of you have seen a picture of the planet Jupiter, has got a great red spot. That red spot is a storm, a cyclonic storm like a hurricane. It's spinning at about 300 miles per hour. It's been, it was first observed about 400 years ago and it's still spinning 400 years later. Did you know that the whole Earth could fit inside of Jupiter's red spot inside of that storm? You could put a million of the Earth inside the planet's sun, and the, inside of the sun, rather, and the sun would not be full yet. But that's just our sun, and our sun is just one star in the Milky Way galaxy. So how many stars do you think are in the Milky Way galaxy? The estimate that I found was about 100 billion stars. And the sun is just an average-sized star among 100 billion stars in our galaxy. So then when it says God tells the number of the stars, well, how do, what do we need to know how many stars there are? How many galaxies are there? Nobody knows. If we knew, we'd be able to tell how many stars there were. Um, the lowest estimates I can find, and these are just the lowest estimates, start at about 100 billion galaxies. So if we ask how many stars there are, it's at least 100 billion times 100 billion. So when it says God tells the stars by names, that is a God who is incredible. I shouldn't use the word incredible. I should say that is a God who is amazing because incredible means unbelievable. So we've seen that's who God is. And then we see people who are worshiping the inventions of mankind. Some people might be focusing on, well, let me actually ask, just think about it for a minute. What is the most important thing to you in your life? How would you know? Well, what takes up most of your time and your money? Are you living for man-made things or for our amazing God? Are you living for your job, for your car, for your house, for power, for a position? These kind of things are man-made things. And so Isaiah is telling us here, either we can live for this amazing God or we can live for man-made things. And now, because I don't have time, I'm just going to jump ahead to the end of this chapter. But actually, let's read the verses, but I just won't say very much about them. Verses 27 to 31, I'm just going to read them. And maybe some of you find yourselves in the situation that Israel did here in verse 27, where it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is discarded by my God? In other words, maybe God doesn't understand what I'm going through. Maybe God doesn't care to protect my rights. Maybe God doesn't care to take care of me. Continue reading in verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Here he says that, Everybody who trusts in their own strength is going to get tired. But if we put our trust in this amazing God that we just thought about, it says that he is able to renew our strength. He's able to give strength. He's able to renew strength. And then it says in verse 
31, it says that if we are willing to wait for God, and I know nobody likes to wait, but if we are willing to wait for God, it says God will give us wings. It says we can mount up with wings like eagles. And I think the illustration is there's all this trouble on the world, but we have, God gives us wings to mount up over those problems. It doesn't say the problems go away, but we can fly over them. And he gives the example of an eagle, not the example of the way a chicken flies, where it flaps its wings a lot and moves a little. He gives the example of an eagle. It soars above the problems almost effortlessly. And that is what can happen if we put our trust in God and if we're willing to wait for him. And so in summary, what I, wanted, I hope that we can see in this chapter is, first of all, our God is amazing. And when we are serving him, we can point others also from the sad state of worshiping man-made things to the wonderful state of waiting on this great God, the same great God we just read about, the one who's created the stars and tells them by names is the same God who can empower us to soar above the problems of the earth. And so if we share the gospel, sometimes I can, when I'm in Africa, sometimes I can have the wrong mindset that I'm like, I don't know if I want to tell this person right now about the gospel because if they listen to me right now, I know they're going to face persecution. I know they're going to face problems. But if we tell them about the gospel, we are turning them from that sad state of worshiping those man-made things to the wonderful state of trusting in the God who is able to get them through those problems. And God can renew our strength when we fall so that we can rise up to walk and run and soar. So let's stop and pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the great God that you are. I pray, Lord, that you would make us more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we read these things. Help us to be able to serve you better and to put our trust in you for salvation and to put our trust in you as we face problems. Lord, that you would allow us not to be trusting in our own strength, not to be trusting in man-made things, but to be able to wait on you. And as a result, may you make us more into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.